The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab, episode 869 for Monday, May 3rd, 2021. <laughs> Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab, the show where you send in your questions, your tips, and your cool stuff found. The goal being that, <clears throat> wow, easy for me to say, each and every one of us tries to avoid having seasonal allergies uh, or at least symptoms uh, from them uh, and learns at least five new things every time we get together. Sponsors for this episode include headspace.com slash MGG, textexpander.com slash podcast, and clear me where code MGG gets you your first two months for free which is great with uh, with all the, the travel that we might actually start being able to do again soon. We'll talk more in depth about each of those in a little while. For now, here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Control, in Fairfield, Connecticut, this is John F. Braun. That is correct. So the audio stream is happening the way it always does, uh, and the audio recording is happening the way that it always had. But for those of you that choose to go to live.macgeekab.com and watch our video while we record it, or that go to YouTube and Facebook, or just to macgeekab.com because you can see it there too, and watch the video, John is now in control of the uh, of the video stream, which makes things uh, a little more, well, it makes life a lot easier for me and uh, and a little more interesting for all of us. So it's good. Yeah, so this is uh, something called StreamYard, which uh, a lot of people use, including our good friend Guy Searle, who actually gave me some tips on how to run this thing. But, I mean, check this out, man. So see, I could do like this and give us like a wide view or like this, or I could do this and it's just Dave or this. Oh, wait, how do I make it so it's just me? This is know. fascinating for our audio listeners. Of which the audience is about 99.2%. So, yeah. All right, fun. let's go back to... All right, side <laughs> by side. There we go. But I don't uh, know how to get it... Yeah, it's weird. If I click on the one person button, I don't I don't know how to get it to be me. It, it goes to you. I don't know why. Interesting. Okay. All right. Well, I'm sure we can figure that out. Cool? Yeah, we will. Okay. Um, Enough fiddling about. No, it's great. It We've been using Memo Live for... Uh, since we started doing the video thing which which basically has been a year I, I forget when we actually started it but it was after we all started pandemicing and uh, we wanted to give you folks that were stuck at home something to watch and and we'd you know sort of been toying with the idea of doing adding video for a while so yeah um so here we are <clears throat> but it makes it fun keeps us all involved and uh, I mean, like I said gives me less to do which is good also memo live. It's released software, folks, but at least for what I think would be the simple use case that we had here, it was not stable, as you might have heard on a few episodes there. So it's nice to move to something that hopefully is more stable. But we have yeah. some quick tips, John. Are, are we ready to go um, to that? Yeah. And basically, yeah, check this out if you want to. Um, maybe we could do an affiliate link or something. I don't know. Um but um, yeah, this basically shoots video to multiple destinations uh, simultaneously, which is something that uh, people what, people want to do. That's what we do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we stream stream live to Facebook and YouTube, which works out great. Well, I've, I've been thinking though, 
that we're probably doing it wrong and we should be streaming to Twitch. So we may, we may add that going forward. Oh yeah. Twitch. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I think there's, I think there's audience out there that, that we are missing out on or that is mm-hmm. missing out on us. So, yeah. Um, in, in terms of quick tips, I realized something this week, you know, we had a conversation, John, about, uh, starting from scratch with your M one max, as opposed to migration assistant. And, and the reason for that, not that there's going to be a ton of problems, but there are things that, Intel things that don't migrate over quite right. And you need to go in and find all of those. And I mentioned that I had done a lot of work to do that after I had done migration assistant. And so for the casual user, I would definitely recommend just starting from scratch. So you're not even having to think about it. Well, even for me, and I thought I went through and did everything the other night I had Chrome running on my M one air and it had been doing its updates and keeping itself up to date and all of that. And I ran activity monitor and I noticed that Chrome was running in Intel mode. It's like, I know it's updated a million times since then. Well, Chrome and Microsoft edge have two different tracks of the app. There is the Intel app. And then there's the one they call the Apple Silicon app, which is really the universal app. So it would run on both. Uh, If you are going to run an, in uh, an M one Mac, you need to go and manually download the Apple Silicon versions of Chrome and or Edge, depending on which browsers you want to use, so that you have them. They they aren't just pushing the universal out to the normal chain. My guess is that they they made some decision that they don't need to fatten up the app since most people, and by fatten up, I mean add the code for both Silicon, Apple Silicon and Intel Silicon uh, to the binary because most people are still running the Intel binary. So, you know, at some point they might merge that and, and stop having this forked thing. But they have a forked thing. And so if you're running an Apple Silicon Mac, make sure that you are running the Apple Silicon versions of uh, of of especially those apps. The best way I have to check for it, it, you can run things that'll go and find all the Intel things on your on your drive. And I'm sure those are fine. And I know those are fine, in fact. But if you um, if you run activity monitor on an in, on an Apple Silicon on an M1 Mac, there is a uh, architecture column that you can put into place. And, uh, and I sort by that and then I can just see what's running Intel actively on my computer. And that's, that's how I found it the other night. So craziness, you got a tip from Alex or any thoughts on the, on that one? Nope. All right, cool. Um, Alex. All right. So Alex writes in and says, if you have a lot of finder windows open, but they are scattered all over the screen, you can of course consolidate them into a single tabbed window but well, you can also cascade those windows into a stack. To cascade them, visit the Finder window menu and click. Holding the Alt key will alternate between Bring All to Front and Arrange in Front. Choosing Arrange in Front will turn that mess into a cascade of Finder windows. So, if you want to clean up your act, um, and he sent a screenshot, and it has the uh, title in the... Uh, the uh, each window has a title, so you can tell what what is within it. Right. So it cascades mm-hmm. them so that one mm-hmm. title is below the next. So you can see the close the the, the close mm-hmm. open maximize or close minimize maximize buttons and the title for each window, and, and then it just mm-hmm. cascades them. Yeah, that's not bad. All right. Yeah, Alex. Pretty good. Uh, Jose has a quick tip for us. 
as soon as I find it, I will tell you. Um, oh, yeah, this was interesting. He was the one that was asking uh, in the in the last episode about the what happens when you delete something from a shared photos album. And the reason he was asking that is sort of a quick tip. He says, I do not have iCloud photo library turned on. So the hack is I create a shared photo album, which I only share with myself and I delete those photos from my iPhone. He, he, for him, he uses it, an album called words, which are screenshots of words that he wants to collect from his dictionary app. You could use it for anything you want, but for him, he takes the screenshot, adds it from his regular photo album to this shared photo album that only his devices are subscribed to. And then he deletes it from his iPhone's photo library. So it only lives in this shared photo library, which is why he was concerned about what happens when you delete something from a shared photo library. And I, I think that's still a valid question. And if you know, feedback at MacGeekCap.com. However, it's a nice little hack to get around not having iCloud photo library turned on on all your devices. So I kind of like that. You could use PhotoStream as well, but he likes to be selective about what's being shared amongst his devices. So hence the shared photo library, but PhotoStream mm -hmm. would do the same kind of thing. So yeah. Interesting. Nice. Did, I know. Did you say feedback at MacGeekGab.com, Dave? I said feedback at MacGeekGab.com. Uh, I did. Yeah. Make sure. Thank you. Yeah, no, I appreciate the clarification. It's, it's hard to understand <laughs> sometimes. Um, John, I realized something this week we had, and I'm still not sure why, we had an issue where for the first few hours, the main uh, stream, the, the main feed of our, our show was great. Like the audio file of the show, no problem. Great, no problem. And lots of people downloaded it. And then sometime throughout the day on Monday, that stopped being the case. And what was in the feed, or at least what was downloaded, and I'm not sure again how this happened. Things happen. It's tech. Uh, was this one second audio file bad, right? So we fixed that once we found out about it. Thank you for letting us know. And, uh, and we fixed it and all the podcatcher apps immediately were up to date. Everything was good except Apple's podcasts on my phone, on my Mac, my phone running 14.5, my Mac running 11.3, uh, were no bueno. It like they, they would not update. And then about an hour, maybe an hour and a half later, everything was fine. It's like, okay, what's Apple doing in caching? And then it hit me. Apple, Apple's podcast apps don't appear to be pulling from our RSS feed anymore. What happens is Apple's podcast apps are pulling from Apple's servers. And Apple's servers only parse our RSS feed once every, you know, hour or two or three or whatever it decides to do. There's a way we can go in and sort of tell it to do it. But even that, there's some lag. And I actually did that on Monday. And I think this has to do with the new podcast subscriptions thing, because we could be releasing two versions of the same episode. We could release a paid version and a not paid version. And it takes Apple's servers to reconcile that. So if the podcast app were pulling directly from our RSS feed, it would have no way of knowing that there was this other episode on the back end uh, coming through the Apple podcast subscription. So it all has to go that way. And uh, and I'm not sure I'm not sure I like that, but uh, it is a fact. So if you're seeing weird things with Apple's podcast app, it's because they're doing new things with Apple's podcast app. And I just I know that's not really a quick tip, but I kind of wanted to share it anyway. So interesting, huh? 
Yes. Yes. Hey, uh, we both got some shipments, John, on Friday, didn't we? Oh, you did too. I okay. Did. Yeah. Um, I yeah, I got a notification from uh, uh, UPS and they're like, hey, something's coming. And I check it out and it's like, it, it's from AI, which of course is Apple Inc. So, uh, so I got my AirTags and got to, uh, got to play around with one. I don't know if you played around with yours. Of course I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. When, okay. when, yeah, yeah. So John, just so I know lots of you got your air tags on Friday. That's not really early. Uh, John and I ordered late in the day on, uh, whenever they went on sale. And so we weren't due to get them until later this week, but, uh, but the way things worked out, we both got them early. Yeah, I am. Um, I, I mean, I, I had happily deleted the tile app from my phone. I'm still leaving my tiles in my various devices. I'll do that until their batteries die. Um, because if, if other people are participating in the tile network, I'm happy to, uh, to have the second line of protection, but the air tags. Yeah. I mean, they, they, I, I, I like them. Do you, I mean, have you, you've messed with them, right? I can understand why other tag vendors may not be pleased with this because, well, the thing is they're obviously doing something that only they can do. So, um, so you get them, they have a, a little tab um, and you pull the tab in order to engage the, in order to activate the battery. And it makes a happy little sound when that happens. But then the setup process, I don't think this is something that other tag vendors could do in that you just hold the tag up to the phone and it just said, oh, AirTag, you want to connect to it? Yeah. And you go through the process, you give it a name, you select an icon for it. Um, Mine, I put in my car, or at least the one that I activated so far, and did a little car icon. Isn't that cute? And then you get a new category in, um, and then it asks, you know, you want to associate this with your Apple ID. It's like, yes, please. Um, and then when you go into Find My, there's a new category. Um, uh, items or devices? Is it it's devices. Devices. Oh, no, 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 no. It's items. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. It, it's items. Okay. Because there's, so you get a new there's category. already devices. Yeah. Yeah. So you get a new category. And so my observation is um, the phone is aware of the tag at, I would say, a little less than 100 feet, but it'll complain that the signal's not strong enough. And then my experience testing out. So it also uses this thing called ultra wideband, which I think is the technology they use to to give you location information, and that kicks in at about thirty feet uh, with my experiment. Well, that's is that's that their precise in, location. What is yes. what they call it? Yeah, that's right. Right. So yeah. once you're within thirty feet of your tag, then it'll start telling you, "Oh, well, it's to the left, to the right, um, and all that." It's like um, looking for a geocache in your own house. It's really kind mm -hmm, of fun. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I should try the. Um, uh stalker tag scenario so apparently if there's a tag within range of your phone that's not registered to your id it'll tell you about that right um after a while uh i think i think it prioritizes if, if it, especially if it's in your home it, it thinks that that's probably a bad thing and someone's trying to stalk you so oh i'll have to yeah i'll have to test that i the I bought a four pack and I, I mm -hmm. put one in my backpack and I gave one to my wife to put in her purse. And, uh, but I'm assuming that because it knows we're in the same 
iCloud family or something, it's not going to freak mm-hmm. out about us essentially tracking each other with our with our respective tags. But mm-hmm. if I if I gave one of my tags to you or left one of my tags near you without you knowing it, that's when it should alert you to that. That's right. Yeah. And as far as third party vendors, there is that find my framework that third party vendors can tap into. Uh, I think they would need new hardware. Like I don't think tile could do it with the existing tiles that I have, but, uh, but it is open in some way. So I noticed that there's a, yeah, within find my, there's a place where you can say add. Um, yeah. Add a device. And then it's like, okay, put it in discovery mode. So yeah, I right. don't think anything that I have right now will, other than the air tags will work with it. But I'm hoping that a, a new version or a new case for AirPods will be a find my device because that, I mean, that's a perfect spot for it. I will, I, I ordered some, uh, some, you know, cases for the air tags because they don't have clips on them as you're all probably aware, but they're not, I haven't gotten those yet, but as soon as I do, I will put one with my AirPods because that's the thing that I leave around most often. So if the AirPods case could become an air tag, uh, I'd like to see that. So I'm, I'm hoping for something like that, but I guess, I guess somebody, I mean, there will be crafty people. There's no reason somebody couldn't build a case for the case mm-hmm. that has the air tag in it as a third party thing. So, yeah. Yeah. Fun. I am. Um, I like, I, I, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm happy with this. I, I like, I have always liked the idea of the tile. I, I'm, I don't like the way it chews up battery. And that seems to be a fairly universal thing um, mm-hmm. based on what we've, the feedback we've been getting. So, Yeah. Oh, yeah, the Apple TV remote. Brian Monroe in the chat room here at live.macgeekup.com suggests that if the Apple TV remote would become an AirTag case, that would be great. Yes, right. Losing it in the couch or just being able to play the sound on it. I did notice something very interesting about the sound, John. Mm -hmm. I had the AirTag uh, in, you know, I put it in my backpack and I'm like, okay, will I hear the sound? And I'm standing right next to my backpack and I play the sound and it's like, well, that doesn't seem all that loud. And my, my wife from across the house goes, yeah, that's kind of an annoying sound. And I'm like, wait a minute. And so as I moved around my house, the sound really did not get a whole lot quieter as I moved further away from it. It's Hmm. like they've picked a frequency that resonates in a way that just sort of pierces through things without being blaringly Hmm. loud, which I found it. I mean, of course Apple did. Right. But I found that part interesting. Like, cause I moved to a room, like a wall away. It was like, Oh, I could still hear it. Okay, great. Like, that's all you actually need. And then you've got the little, you know, geotag geocacher where you're like navigating to it as well, which is good. Yes. Yes. As Renee Ritchie says, air tag, all the things. Absolutely. Let's, let's just do it. Yeah. We'll track ourselves. I, I'm going to, I'm going to air tag my kids. I mean, they're, they're, they're older now, but if they were younger, I just, you know, we could sew one right in, right? That's okay. No problem. Maybe braid it into their hair. It'll be like a fashion statement. Kids wearing air tags. All right. Yeah. The one weird thing I noticed is that at one point when I was trying to uh, find one of my tags, it complained. It said more light required. More light. Yeah. When um, uh, apparently when you're in find mode, uh, it turns on the camera. I, I, I guess it visually can visually locate it as well. Wow. Huh. 
No, I got a screenshot here. I'll show it to I you. I believe it. it. I, yeah. At one point it said more light required. And I'm like, huh? We'll have to dig into that. That's interesting. Huh? All yeah. right. Cool. All right. And hey, Dave, if you want to protect your, um, your air tag. Well, we have um, a lot of things to talk about in terms of that. Don't we? We've got, in fact, our first cool stuff found today mm-hmm. of a huge list will be a, uh, a an AirTag case, a very special one that uh, listener Mark sent in. And we've got some other cool stuff found too, including another webcam that I was able to check out. So uh, I, we will do that shortly. The first thing I want to do, John, is to talk about our sponsors, if that works for you. Ah, uh, please. All right. Hey, wouldn't it be great if there were some pocket-sized guide that helped you sleep, focus, act, and even be better? Well, the good news is there is. And if you have 10 minutes, Headspace can change your life because Headspace is your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy-to-use app. Headspace is an app I've been using for a long time, on and off. It, it's a practice, right? And I'm not perfect with it. I'm, 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 I'm trying to get there. But uh, I've used it on and off for years. And thankfully, you know, with this renewed attention, I'm back onto it again. And it's fantastic because it doesn't matter. Whatever the situation, Headspace really can help me feel better. If I'm overwhelmed, they've got like this little three-minute SOS meditation for me. If I need help falling asleep, they've got these wind-down sessions that uh, that are fantastic. They really do help you kind of tune out. I know it seems weird to say, hey, we'll use our phones to tune out the outside world. Like <laughs> On the surface, I get it. But it really actually works. And you deserve to feel happier too. And Headspace is meditation made simple. So go to headspace.com slash MGG. That's headspace.com slash MGG. That'll get you a free one month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. That's the best deal they're offering right now. It's headspace.com slash MGG. Head there today. And our thanks to Headspace for sponsoring this episode. Next up is clear. You know, I'm I've, I was fortunate enough to be able to travel recently to go. We had to go pick up our son uh, over on the other side of the country, and I am eager to do more. And when I travel, I love it when I am able to use clear because clear is this secure identity platform that really, truly creates a frictionless journey at the airport and beyond. It works at, at stadiums and stuff too. I have, I've only ever tried it at airports and I've used it and it's amazing because with clear, all I need is me, right? I, I there's the, like a quick one-time enrollment that I use with my, you know, passport or driver's license, which is fine. And then after that, I just use my face or my eyes for this safer touchless entry at the airport to get into, you know, the, the, the line where you're, you know, scanning your stuff and getting through security. They make it, they make me seem so important. It really is. They, they do such a fantastic job. They have the clear ambassadors that are there. You do the little scan at the clear kiosk and then they just walk you uh, right up and, and you're on your way through clear is the absolute best way to help you get back to what you love. And they have locations in over 35 airports across the country, making it safer, easier and faster to reunite with your loved ones or take that much needed vacation. It works great with TSA pre-check too. And right now for a limited time, you can get your first two months of clear for free just because you're a Mac geek gab listener. So go to clear, me.com slash Mac geek gab 
and use code MacGeekGab. That's C-L-E-A-R-M-E.com slash MacGeekGab, code MacGeekGab for your first two months of Clear for free. Clearme.com slash MacGeekGab, code MacGeekGab, and our thanks to Clear for sponsoring this episode. Next up is Text Expander. This is an app that without it, I know immediately that for whatever reason, I haven't launched it yet because I, like, I use it so much in my email and even in my text messages, uh, filling out web forms. The idea behind Text Expander is there are these things that we type all the time and we want to make sure we get them right. And we don't want to have to retype them and proofread them and all of that. Things like Things, they can be short things like email addresses and phone numbers. I never want to type my email address wrong on a form. That's terrible because then I'm not going to get the email that I expected. Same with my phone number. Same with my address. But also the same with like big responses, like multi-paragraph responses to emails, right? If somebody, if there's a question that I'm being asked regularly, maybe, you know, tell us about your podcast. Okay, great. Like, boom, here it is. I don't have to proofread it. I don't have to think it's super fast and off it goes. And then I even have some of the follow-up questions like, you know, uh, what, what kind of package do you recommend? And like, although actually that's usually pretty customized, but, but there's actually some other things where it makes perfect sense to have these responses that you're using over and over again. And that's what text expanders for it. Text expanders available on Mac, windows, Chrome, iPhone, and iPad. And it syncs amongst all of your devices. So you have your snippet library everywhere, and you can even sync your snippet library with your team. So everybody has the same library show listeners here to Mac geek. Up, get 20% off your first year. You got to visit textexpandercom slash podcast to learn more again, textexpandercom slash podcast. And our thanks to text expander, for sponsoring this episode. All right, John, you want to take us to uh, to oh, Mark yeah. with his AirPads case, Air Air Tags case? Uh, yes, the tag itself. Uh, I mean, the back I think is plastic, and the front is is nice shiny metal. Um, with most cases, Dave, you're probably going to scratch it up, and everybody hates that, right? You know, it's like when you get a new watch or something. Sure. <laughs> the first scratch yeah. you get on it is like frustrating, and but then you deal with it. Um, but if you don't want to deal with it, um, we uh, got a link here. You can pre-order this thing from uh, Elevation Lab and it's called Tag Vault. And it's $12.95. Um, and basically I would say it's a ruggedized case for your AirTag. It's awesome. Um, they say, uh, first waterproof case actually isn't, I thought the device is waterproof, isn't it? Um, I thought they advertised the AirTag as being waterproof, but maybe not. So this will make it more waterproof. Um, yes. Yeah, let's see. Stainless steel. Okay. Good. It's water resistant. Mm. Uh, they say it's the AirTag is splash water and dust resistant. And it's mm -hmm. tested controlled lab IP67 rating. So that's a maximum depth of one meter up to 30 minutes. So that's mm -hmm. that I consider that more than just resistant, but Apple's being conservative mm -hmm. with their language. So a lot of people would call an IP67 device waterproof just for the mm -hmm. sake of argument. But yeah. Yeah. So yeah, there you go. Yeah. All right. Pretty cool. I like it. I like it. And what do you it, got? What's that, John? Oh, what do you I, got? I have um, this. Uh, it, it was it. So this is its second cool stuff found entry in a month. First, it came from a listener, and then I got a chance to test one. It's the Anchor PowerConf C three hundred HD webcam. I love testing webcams that are not from Logitech because I think it's good. You know, we saw Logitech's 
um, uh, inventory dwindle when everybody went crazy buying webcams about a year ago. And so it's great to see so many other companies out with this. Well, I think Anchor has not just put out a webcam that is good. It is good. They've gone an extra step. So this is a 1080p 60 frame per second webcam. Um, it's got a super wide uh, uh, aspect ratio, I guess is, would be the right term to use, uh, but it's controllable. And what's cool about it is you can go like zoomed in or you can go super wide, uh, but you can also set the camera itself. There's software you download for Mac or Windows. It's a it plugs in with either USB-C or USB-A. Uh, the software, you can set the angle or you can set it to be uh, in this mode where it follows you and you can have it follow a single face or multiple faces and it will zoom out and in and sort of it almost it's a pan and zoom effect, but it's all happening from within the camera itself. So it works with everything. If I were using it here to do the show today, I'm not. Um, but if I were it, you know, I moved around here, my face would would sort of stay centered uh, for a Zoom call. It's great. And with multiple people, if you're doing like family Zooms and things like that, it'll constantly make sure that everybody is in the frame. The microphone on it is is actually pretty good. Um, I'm not sure exactly what they're doing, but uh, but the microphone's pretty good. I, I like the microphones in my M1 Air a little better, but Apple's done some crazy things with those microphones to make them better. Uh, so it like but the but it's a it's a nitpick is really what it is. The microphones in this are clear and probably would work better for multiple people at like at a distance. I have not tested that yet, but it's a very cool camera and it's 130 bucks and uh, available on Amazon. So, yeah, I, cool stuff found deserving of, of another mention for sure. They did a great job at this. Nice. So, yeah. Yeah, it's good. Uh, let's see. We have uh, Donna to talk about here. Donna. So this is a little off the beaten path. But I like it, and it's worth going and watching this little video. She says, uh, I know this isn't an electronic digital techie thing, but it's cool stuff found nonetheless. She said it's these Kizik hands-free shoes. She says, I'm not sure where my 80-year-old mother discovered these, but she ordered them, and she can easily put them on. They look like normal shoes, but you can slip into them. They're just the way the heel and everything is built. It, uh, you, you have to go watch the video to fully understand it, but it looks really cool, which is why we put it in cool stuff found. So thanks, Donna. Yeah. Ah, uh, um, it's good to have easy, you know, like if we can make our lives a little easier, that's not a bad thing. Hey, super duper released something the other night, John, that is, um, new and welcome and unique. And that is they released a beta that will clone your M1 Max boot drive into another bootable drive. This is something that has thus far been impossible with any cloning apps. Um, now, the trick is, uh, it's in beta, probably because Dave just finally got it to the point where he felt it stable enough to, to have other people using it. However, there's another asterisk here, and that asterisk is it requires the... 11.4 beta of Mac OS to work. Uh, and Dave put up a fantastic post explaining exactly why this is, but there's a utility called ASR uh, that stands for, I'm pulling it up here. App, uh, uh, Apple software restore. 
This is an Apple utility that Apple bakes in with the OS up through 11.3 ASR is not compatible with the M1 chip. And because of the way the secure volumes work with the secure system volume works with Big Sur, you have to use ASR if you're cloning the system volume in Big Sur. And so there was no way to clone that on an M1 Mac if ASR didn't run on the M1. Well, in 11.4 beta one, ASR works on the M1 Mac. And so now you can do this. So this is coming. I have no doubt we'll see this from Carbon Copy Cloner and perhaps even others uh, now that ASR is in there. But Dave Nadian, you know, we talk about how the, uh, you know, these two cloning apps, SuperDuper and Carbon Copy Cloner, leapfrog each other over the years. Well, this is Dave's most recent hop. And I say Dave, Dave Nadian is, is the, uh, uh, the engineer over there that creates uh, SuperDuper. So, but there is another caveat that's worth sharing. I, I put a link to the TMO article about this that Andrew Orr wrote up, but he says, um, you can't boot an Intel Mac from an M1 clone or vice versa. However, you can boot one M1 Mac from a clone of a different M1 Mac as long as you authorize it with a user on the Mac you're booting. So that the, that security chip in the M1 Macs knows about uh, about who you are and you need to you need to authorize it. So um, but regardless of processor, of course, you can still restore using Apple's first boot restore process or obviously migration assistant from anything. So uh, so this is exciting, though. It's good to see that Apple's worked it out. So, yeah, it's good. Uh, I don't know. What else we got here, John? Something from Larry? Yeah? Sure. You want to take Larry's? Do you want me to take Larry's? Happy to do it. Uh, um, uh, it's not coming up. All right. So. I got it. Uh, Larry says, uh, listening to the most recent show, uh, talking about various clipboard managers, he says... Um, and you talked about apps that had it baked in. Speaking of apps being baked in, uh, Parallels Toolbox or Parallels. Yeah. Parallels Toolbox is one of the greatest collection uh, collections of utilities. And the clipboard history is just one of them. It's a subscription model, which he says, I know your listener was trying to avoid. But for $19.99, you get an amazing set of tools that uh, that you will definitely use daily. Sleep timer, screen recorder, screen capture, audio recorder, disc ejector, drive optimizer, application, uninstaller. The list goes on. So, yeah. Thank you for, for that, Larry. We will um, we will put it on there. He called it Parallels Desktop. I thought he meant Parallels Toolbox, but maybe I'm missing something. Parallels Toolbox. Yes, that's the correct name yeah. for it. Yeah. Thank you. All right, cool. So we'll put a link to that in the show notes for sure. Thanks, Larry. Good stuff. Uh, Mike. Oh, Mike made something very cool, John. You know how I uh, I like to talk about my three ping uh, troubleshooting method, right? Mm -hmm. Where you get uh, three windows open. If you're having network problems, open up three terminal windows and on them you ping three different things. You ping your router to make sure that you're not seeing a problem within your local network. If you can, you ping your cable modem, which if you have a cable modem, you can ping it. Uh, and then you ping some device out on the Internet so that, you know, OK, is the problem between me and my router? Or if, if that's fine, is the problem between my router and the cable modem? Or if that's fine, is the problem between my cable modem and the Internet? Tells you how to troubleshoot things. Well, Mike created a uh, Homebridge plugin for uh, for, you know, to use with HomeKit. To um, to use this three ping strategy to alert you 
to network bottlenecks and issues. I have not installed this yet, but I am eager to. He leveraged the idea of a carbon dioxide sensor uh, to use as the service. And it, the way he built it, each target has three CO2 sensors. And then uh, it, it, it's each one is a ping time, an average ping time, a standard deviation and a packet loss. And so you can sort of sense from any one of those, which is pretty cool. And he says, when drive, when values drift outside of your user specified bounds, the sensor will be set to detect CO2, which displays a home kit alert. So very cool. Thank you for making that, Mike. That's awesome. So there's a link to that. Our forum, the, our forum post, his forum post about that, which is very cool. I love cool stuff created. It's one of my favorite things, John. Uh, what else do we have here? Oh, one more cool stuff found, at least from my list here. Uh, Simon tells us about a, uh, we were talking about various different services for creating email aliases, you know, and, uh, so that you can like give one to each store that you buy from or whatever. And then you're not stuck with, you know, them selling your email address off and you being able to do nothing about it. But, uh, Simon who hopes hosts the essential Apple podcast said, uh, I would recommend you take a look at simplelogin.io, which is an excellent free email aliasing slash forwarding service. I also use, use both sudo mail and 33 mail, uh, but for ease in, of use and functionality, I would recommend simple login. So we will put a link to uh, simple login here in the show notes. Thanks for that, Simon. Fun, fun stuff. All right. Um, John, speaking of internet, Mine is different. I finally got fiber this week. Oh, yes. I, I saw a speed test. Yes. Uh, looks pretty snappy. Yeah. So Consolidated offers three levels of fiber here. It doesn't matter what the cost was. You know I was going to get the fully symmetrical gigabit anyway. However, uh, so fully symmetrical gigabit, 70 bucks a month. One notch down from that for 60 bucks a month is 250 megabits. So a thousand megabits or 250 megabits for $10 less a month. That was an easy choice. And then you could get 50 megabits symmetrical, which is still a faster upstream than the fastest upstream I could get from Com Comcast was only 35 a month. But obviously I went for the, uh, for the gigabit, which it tests out. I get, you know, full ethernet speeds, um, out to, uh, out, out the internet port. The really nice part when we first talked about this, John, I had chatted with the consolidated folks and they said I had to use their router in order to log in. They said their authentication, whatever authentication they were using, it was custom and you had to use their thing, but they were working on a way to get around that. I was like, okay, you know what? I can double that. The thing, it's fine. So when the guy came, it was, there were two visits. The first was to string the fiber from the pole to the house. And then a couple of days later, they came inside the, well, they came inside the office because that's where I had them put it, but he came inside the house and, uh, and put two devices in. So there's the ONT, which is the optical network terminal. That's the thing that converts the fiber signal into an ethernet signal for lack of a better, I think, actually, I don't think, I don't think there's, that's a, that's a bad description. I think that's exactly what it does. And then he put this router in and, uh, so, and then he said, you know, uh, do you want me to hook it up to your network? And I said, no, 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 you, you will be doing none of that. And he's like, great. I don't want to have to mess with that. So <laughs> it was, you know, by the, t when he left, I had two completely separate Wi-Fi networks in my house. I had my main one from Comcast and then, um, and then this one from consolidated. And the first thing I did, well, the first thing I did was ethernet in and do speed tests. I did that while he was here. Cause you know, we all needed to make sure it was working, which of course it was 935 megabits in both directions. So, yep. That's, that's what I get over my ethernet when I'm testing locally. So sounds good. 
And uh, so I think the, the fiber might actually be faster than gigabit, but, um, but I, I have no current way of seeing, although it has a 10 gig port on it. So I could test mm. that. Yeah. Anyway. All right. So that gives me ideas, uh, which is fun. But then uh, I logged into the router and it was just this very standard Zizel router. And I looked and it was just connecting with PPPoE. And so I thought, well, let's try it. And so I configured PPPoE on my Synology router and I unplugged the Zizel router. I plugged directly in with the Synology and I PPPoE'd and instantly the connection was up and it's been solid for almost a week. So I don't, their router is unplugged. I'm sure I am running what is considered an unsupported configuration. Uh, I'm sure when they hear this segment, they're going to be scratching their heads about whether it was a good idea for me to mention this or not. But, um, but you know, we're Mac geek Cab, so it's what we do, but I'm very excited. It's great. Um, yeah. So I'm, I, I'm, you know, it, it's, it's almost a non-event. I mean, I'm doing a lot more speed tests than I used to because I like to see the, the super fast mm -hmm. connection, but uh, yeah, it just works. No problem. So, so far, knock on wood, you know, so. Yeah, I may have to go down that path too. Cause um, whatever deal I had on my cable expired. Uh, so I have with cable vision 200 down and 35 up and now I'm being charged $89 a month for that, which is kind of expensive and more expensive than several of the fiber packages. Yeah. That are faster. That are faster. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think the one go net speed is, is the company they offer service oddly only in Connecticut and Pennsylvania, parts it's, of Pennsylvania. It's weird to me that like you live in a, in a fairly densely populated area. You are most definitely in a suburb of Manhattan. And yet you have these, like you don't have the nationwide providers there. Like you don't have Comcast. You don't even have like a spectrum or anything. You've got opt online, which is this relatively mm -hmm. small carrier. And the same is true for your fiber. I mean, it's, it's just weird to me that, that those are the options having grown up down there and like yeah. knowing how influenced, like I grew up watching literally WNBC, like mm -hmm. our news, our local news on TV was, you know, the, na the national news from New York. Mm -hmm. And, and so like it was weird for me when I moved to Texas and it was like, Oh, right. Like I'm seeing local Austin news now. Fascinating. Like I, that was a, that blew my mind at the time. I mean, it just, you know, shows how sheltered I was, but which is okay. Like that's how youth is. But, uh, it's it just weird to me that, that like that area that is so influenced by New York is like, yeah, no, 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 no. you get these like off brand carriers. It's I fine. Mean, optimum. <clears throat> in theory, you can get gigabit down service mm. from them if you're willing to pay the price um yeah you gotta gotta go with the fiber man it's been it's been rock yeah, solid I'm, I'm thinking i gotta research this but i i want to get what we'll call a load balancer i don't know if i want to totally ditch optimum or maybe just get a lower tier connection and so, then build a redundant connection so i think you see what i'm trying to i want to bond the ethernet from optimum and the ethernet from the fiber guys into one box that then goes into my router. So I was thinking along these lines, I wasn't quite as obsessed with it as it sounds like you are, but I have mm -hmm. the capability, right? The Synology router. And if you're going to do this, do not buy a cheap 
device to do it because the cheap ones won't pass gigabit. These devices will essentially mm. become your router, right? So you have to be really cautious. But I would recommend if you're going to do it, I'd get the Synology. The RT2600 AC does, um, you know, will do this and it's not all that expensive. It's like 179 bucks or maybe even less now. It was massively over-engineered when they created it four years ago or something. It really blows me away. Anyway, um, so I, th I did the same thing because I have, you know, it's like I, I had to do nothing extra. I just plugged in and mm -hmm. I did it. And then immediately I was like, wait a minute. I don't want it because I can configure it either in load balancer or in failover mode. And I configured it in failover mode. And then immediately I was like, okay, but I don't actually want this. I like... I want to be, I want to know how reliable or unreliable my new connection from consolidated is. I don't just want some magic thing. I'm not saving lives here. I'm not running an operating room. I'm not running, you know, servers that must be load balanced and fault tolerant and all of that. I'm just Dave at home with his office and an internet connection. It's like, it's not that big of a deal. Mm -hmm. So I have my cable. I am going for a couple of months. I've, I've ratcheted my Comcast service down. I had gigabit service from them. So which mm -hmm. was gigabit down and 40 up or 35 up or whatever they say. And then, uh, so I ratcheted it down to the cheapest one that they'll sell me, which is like 15 bucks a month for like 200 down and five up or something mm -hmm. terrible. So I have that if the, the fiber just, you know, fails on me, but mm -hmm. it's unplugged. I don't want to, I don't want to have some, smooth fault tolerant thing. I want to know that I can rely on this Comcast and it's a consolidated connection. So I don't, sure. I, for you, I recommend the same thing. I, I would say, keep your safety net, but truly treat it as a safety mm -hmm. net and, and plug it in. If your fiber dies, otherwise within a couple of months, you just stop paying mm -hmm. optimum. Well, at least for that, I realize you probably pay them for TV, but that's what I would do. That's, what, I, that's what I'm doing. It. So I'm doing all through yeah. them right now, but, um, yeah. Yeah. Plus it just be, I just like to, I can't be the only person that wants to do this in a, in a consumer market. Well, that's why the I mean, Synology router I mean, I, has it. Yeah. 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 So actually maybe I'll, yeah, no, I could, uh, just you can unplug cables. It's really simple. Mm -hmm. Like that's all I'm going to do. Yeah. If there's a problem, I'm plugging in. That's it. Cause I, like I said, I want to know, I want to have the experience mm -hmm. of like, okay, how, how reliable slash unreliable is this? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I hear you. Yeah. That's my, that's my thought process on it, but it's been, it's been smooth as silk so far. So mm -hmm. I'm stoked. And uh, it's just, I mean, it's, it's a better technology for faster upstream because the cable networks oh, were, were built to be, you know, essentially unidirectional. We're going to stream TV to you and we just need a small return channel. So you can like, tell us what TV you want or buying a pay-per-view and things like that. So, mm -hmm. yeah. all right, we got some questions to answer, John, and we're already 45 minutes into this sucker. Oh my. Shall we? Mm -hmm. Cool. Kevin asks, uh, he says, uh, Back when iTunes was a bloated mess, I used to use it to manage my iOS apps on my iPhone and iPad. Uh, I have a habit of downloading apps when they are free and then not really using them ever. Kevin, same. Uh, he says, then I forget what they even do. Also, same. 
Now, he says, I would like to be able to use my MacBook Air with an M1 chip to trim down the number of apps I've downloaded to my iOS devices. Do you know of something I don't or have any ideas on how to solve this issue? Yeah, we got to trim down that iPhone bloat, right? The app fat. Uh, I, honestly, the way I do it, there's two ways to do it in my book. Number one, to do exactly what you're asking is amazing. I, you know, you plug that in, connect it up. And you can do it Wi-Fi or, or, you know, connected Ethernet once you get it all configured. And uh, it's it makes it easy. You can see the list of apps. You can see how much space they're taking up. And you can just tell it to delete them. And it deletes them. And it's great. Like, it truly is way easier than doing it on device, in my opinion. That said, for me, the easiest way might be to do it in reverse. Start your phone from scratch every now and again. And only install the apps that you want. Because... If you're like me, when you're going through with iMazing and trying to delete things, you will think, oh, no, I might need that. Uh, I don't want to delete that. And I wind up deleting probably only a third of the stuff that I would actually want to delete. Whereas when I do it, when I wipe it clean and only install the things that I need, guess what? I only wind up with the things that I need. <laughs> so that's two ways of approaching it. Um, I don't know. That's, that's, what, that's what works for me. What works for you, John? Um, I usually don't go through my, uh, you don't even bother. <laughs> uh, I'm, what I'm trying to find here, but what I have seen happens. So how do you activate this? Okay. Uh, general iPhone, iPad storage offload unused apps. So I knew this because one time I came into one of my uh, categories on my phone and I saw that the uh, app had like a little cloud and arrow next to it. And I'm like, huh? Apparently what had happened is that it hadn't seen me use it in a while. So it, it decides to uh, stuff it in the cloud. And then right. if you want it again. So I think it, so if you enable that setting, the phone will kind of do this for you. Right. Yeah, it will in terms of space, but in terms of just like it, the, what it will do is it will offload the app, uh, but you can, but it like keeps all your settings and everything so that you can, you know, redownload the app and use it. And if space is the only concern, then sure. Where this gets dangerous though, is like, I got to a gig at one point and I hadn't used the Allen and Heath mixer app on my gigging iPad. And evidently this setting was on. And I get to the gig and it's like, oh, that app's not on your device. And it's like, yeah, but I, I'm not on like internet connected Wi-Fi here. So thanks, I guess, you know, mm -hmm. I kind of planned on having that here. Um, so beware of that. Like the app won't be there when you need it. Some apps won't. You have no real way of saying, except these, you know, don't like leave these alone. But it still leaves the icons all over the place. Of course, now with the app library, mm -hmm. you don't have to worry about that as much. But yeah, I mean, space-wise, that will work, but it doesn't really get rid of what what mm -hmm. uh, what Kevin was going for. But yeah, I mean, it's it's a start. It's a start. Yeah. So, all right, uh, listener John has a question. He says, "My home Wi-Fi network has become exponentially more complex over the past three years." Yeah, same. Uh, he says, "I have many Internet of Things devices, all of which are HomeKit compatible." He says. And of course, a family full of iDevices and Apple TVs and laptops, etc. 
I have a Ubiquity Amplify Alien Mesh System, which seems to handle daily tasks very well. Yeah, I would imagine it would. Recently, I was fiddling with the Amplify app and noticed a device on the network I didn't recognize. Indeed, the Amplify app registered the device as no name available. And in digging in a bit deeper, I noticed that the device was connected to my guest network, which is also password protected. I was able to see an IP address, which was out of range of all the other devices, presumably because it was on your guest network, and a MAC address, but no vendor name was specified. I searched the MAC address through a number of search utilities, and everyone returned a no results outcome. I promptly turned off the guest network and changed the password. I turned the guest back on, and the device disappeared. But this got me to thinking, our home networks are growing. I need a good network utility to tell me what's going on. So I downloaded the Fing app and subscribed to their premium plan. It does a good job of monitoring my network and surveying device outages, etc. But it doesn't seem to do enough for me. So I'm reaching out to you and perhaps the MacGeekab family to see if anyone has any experience with a favorite network monitoring utility. He says, ideally, I'd like to receive notifications when a device connects to my network have multiple identifiers for each device, not just IP and MAC address. So being able to say, name them troubleshoot, for instance, figure out why one device might keep showing no response. I want to protect my network and I want to utilize this utility on my Mac, my iPhone and an iPad. Uh, he says, I realize a bunch of utilities do some of this already, including the amplify app that came with my router, but I'd like a one-stop shop utility if that's possible. So I, I think there's maybe a two-stop shop, uh, your router, your router really is the device that can see everything on your network. And, and it's so getting a router that has these capabilities in it to see things and monitor traffic, if that's important to you and those sorts of things, like that's a great place to start on top of that, the thing app and really with a thing box, might be the way to go. That's what I'm doing here. I've got the Synology router, which is fairly full featured, including all of these monitoring things. Uh, and then of course, below that, I'm not using Synology's Wi-Fi. I'm using Eero's Wi-Fi. So I have some notifications from Eero, even still in bridge mode. And then I've got a thing box that really sort of monitors things. And the nice part about a thing box is I can tell it, Hey, these three devices, I want you to alert me if, and when each of these comes offline or online, um, it, you know, it'll tell you the first time it sees a device, but you can also go in and tell it, hey, keep an eye on these. I want to know if one of these goes offline. And and that could be maybe, you know, if your Apple TV is your home hub, that would be a good thing to to know about it, I have my switches in there now. So if one of my remote switches goes offline, I get an alert that'll tell me if there's, you know, like, again, it's that, you know, kind of like the three ping approach. Like, okay, if the Apple TV goes offline, that's great. But is the switch also offline? Because that then tells me about a different problem. So Fingbox and the router, I think are the way to go. The nice part about the Fingbox is it is always on. So it's always doing this monitoring. So that's what, that's what I'm doing here. I don't know uh, if you, if you have any different advice or if anybody in the chat room or anybody out there, uh, feedback at MacGeekup.com. Let us know. What do you think, John? Um, I think that I just had, uh, so I'm with you. I'd, I'd recommend the router as the first place to look. So in my case, I have the Eero running as my uh, primary router. Um, and something funny happened a couple of days ago, Dave, um, which um, falls within the sphere of what we were just talking about. So. Okay. Um, all of a sudden, I get a notification from Eero, and it's like, hey, a new device from Rawlink Technology Corp has joined your network. And I'm like, huh? 
uh oh. <laughs> I'm like, I don't think I have anything from Rawlink Technology Corp on my network. I'm like, okay, so what did I just do? So either I just added a device to the network knowingly, which I didn't think I had. At first, I thought maybe it was like an iOS update or a TV OS update. And maybe it scrambled the, uh, you know, or something changed the uh, private address setting and the the Mac just, you know, happened to fall into that range of this company. Sure. No, here's um, some vendors should. Here's what happened. So I looked up this company. You know what they make, Dave? They make Wi-Fi chipsets. Okay, that makes sense. Yep. And then I was like, hmm, oh, now I know what it was. So I have a um, SanDisk um, memory stick that has a USB-A port. But you know what it also has, Dave? It has a Wi-Fi radio. Ah. It becomes part of your network. So, and and when I set it up, but I ha I haven't turned it on in ages, but when I turned it on, it was long enough that the, um, I don't think the Eero actually ever had seen it. Um, I hadn't turned it on in a while, um, but that's what it was. And the thing that helped is that the window, um, the window that Eero showed, and this is how I knew it was that device. So it had an IP address, 1.99, and I'm like, okay, you know, showed the MAC address. And then it was like last seen, um, and it showed the last time it saw it. And I was like, oh, wait, that's about the time that I turned on this thingamajig. Um, so I turned it on again, and all of a sudden it updated the last seen time to uh, like now. And yeah. I'm like, oh, okay, that was it. That's it, right, right. Um, yeah, nice find. Yeah, and I, I've had a couple of other things. Like uh, I had another thing that was like, oh, a device from Texas Instruments is on your network. It's like, I didn't buy a Texas Instruments something. But hey, they make chips so i guess the the concern here is that the mac address of the device may not be the mac address may not be mapped to the manufacturer right kind of annoying no that that that's a good that's a good reminder here because you're right like people buy wi-fi chipsets and they may not take the batch that they bought and register them as something new. And if they aren't, then it's just, well, okay, the manufacturer is the manufacturer, you know, um, mm -hmm. like when Apple buys, even if Apple was buying Broadcom chipsets, they would register that batch such that, it, you know, if you looked it up in a Mac table or something publicly, it was like, Oh no, this is, mm -hmm. this is from an Apple device, but not everybody mm -hmm. does that. Not everybody buys enough at, at, at once to make it worthwhile doing that. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Hey, speaking of tracking, um, you know, iOS 14.5 is out and that includes the much discussed uh, app tracking uh, opt in feature. Right. Facebook was all up in arms about this. A few other companies are up in arms. I, I, I actually kind of like it. If an app wants to track me, I want it to be able to ask me. Well, um, it turns out at least on, you know, so anecdote is not the plural of data, not the plural of data, but um and for all the phones in our house, uh, this was disabled at first. So if you go into settings, privacy, tracking, allow apps to request to track on your phone running 14.5 or later, uh, that switch, if it's off, apps can't, apps can't track you. So first of all, apps can't track you without your permission with iOS 14.5 and later. If this switch is off, apps can't even ask to track you. If you turn the switch on, 
Apps now can ask to track you. And in this same location, you will see the list of apps that have asked you and that you've given permission to. So I went and turned this on because I want to see an app asked to track me. Now, Facebook and Instagram will not ask. They, they seem to have decided that they don't even want to ask iPhone users if they want to be tracked because I think Facebook might know the answer that they're going to get from most people. So they don't even want to shine a light on this. They're just sending notes out to their advertisers that are like, hey, if you're doing things, uh, you can't target iOS 14.5 users because they can't be tracked. And, uh, you know, they're, they're sort of fighting the battle that way, which is, you know what? It's fine. Let them do their thing. But, um, but yeah, so check that out. And if you want to be asked, if you want to see what those things look like, uh, turn it on and it's not going to let apps track you without your knowledge. Uh, it's still going to show up the dialogue, but, uh, but that's where that thing is. So, um, so yeah, so yeah. Thank you, Jose, for asking us about this. And, uh, and yeah, it's a, it's an interesting new thing. I, I like what Apple's doing with it for sure. So I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad to see it. I don't, I don't, we've, we've gotten to, well, we're humans when we have, when we know that data exists, we want to use it in every way that we can. And I don't mean that about say me in particular, or you, John in particular, or you, uh, who's listening in particular, but in general, we humans, we slide down slippery slopes and that's exactly what this one has become. So I, I like that Apple has done something to make the slope uh, a lot less slippery. They've added friction to the slope. So yeah. Any thoughts on that before we move on to Ben here, John? Um, no, I actually had this enabled and the things that asked me, I actually said yes. Interest? No, there's nothing wrong with that. Like you opted in. That's okay. Yeah. Because the thing is, if you're going to show me an ad, I'd rather have it be something relevant to me. The thing I don't like is ads that are totally not relevant to me, which is why we have things like TiVo because. Right. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, there are certain products where there's zero chance that I'm going to buy it. Like, you know, it's, it's not for someone of my gender, for example. Sure. Right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it makes sense. It makes sense. I don't need to see this. Right. All right. Right. No. Yeah. It's, um, there are other ways of targeting people. This show is a perfect example of that, right? We do not allow our sponsors to track you. A lot of shows do. Um, we have thus far not chosen to head down that path. If we ever do, we will have a long discussion here on the show about it, but I really don't see it happening to be perfectly honest, but that doesn't stop people from being able to target you because look, the three sponsors we had in this episode, right? Headspace. It's an iOS app for meditation. So chances are many people, certainly more than a small segment of people listening to this show have iOS devices. We know that. So great. Here's this thing. And, and they keep renewing, so it keeps working for them. That's the other way they, quote unquote, track you. If you choose to buy an app and choose to use our URL or coupon code or whatever, that you are essentially telling them, I learned about this from Mac Geekab. And so they keep coming back. That's great. Clear. Same kind of thing. We talk about travel on this show all the time. It's a service I use, right? And so makes sense to target you. Same with text expander, right? So like they are targeting you without being creepy about it at all. They're using, you know, 
demographics and, uh, and and other things to decide that, yes, this general group of people, it's really a highly selective group of people, I like to say. Um, you've got great taste, I will tell you. Uh, you know, so it works. So there are other ways to track and, and target, I should say, not track. There are other ways to track without, there are other ways to target without tracking. So yeah, it's good. I'm curious if you don't mind saying, John, an example of one of the apps that you let um, track you. Uh, Redbox. Mm. Interesting. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. It, they recommend, they're like, oh, you, you've rented these. So maybe you want to check these out. Totally. Um, so some of it they do, you know, within their app and looking at my purchase history or, you know, they may look elsewhere. Interesting. Yeah. That's cool. That's um, cool. Now, you know, along those lines, um, I saw this post on my Facebook feed and I had to get back to this person. So he's like, yeah, you know what? All that junk mail that you get. Well, here's what you do. You take the the reply envelope and you you take the material and put it in the prepaid reply envelope and send it back to them. And I'm like, OK, well, that, first, that's just kind of a rotten thing to do because you're making someone's life. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> more difficult. Or like the, the the one that I've seen is, yeah, is, you know, put the re- reply envelope on a brick and then they'll charge them, you know, wherever it takes to mail a brick back. That is well, true. actually, they won't. Oh, is that right? Okay, They do charge well, them to, it, to mail it, the it, reply envelope back. Well, because it's viewed as kind of harassing. The Got mailer, it. Got it. The person yeah. that sent it to you. So they're not going to send a brick back to them and charge them postage for it. But right. um. Just to mention, there is, if you do want to tell people what you're into and not, then there is the because the thing is, Dave, people don't want to send you mail that you will never use. Fair, right? It's just sure. you know, it's throwing money away. Um, DMA Choice is a website where uh, DMA is the Direct Marketing Association. You can go there and tell them what kind of stuff you want and don't want. Ah. that's the right way to do it. Just okay, to share that. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check that out. I'm, I'll put it on the list. Thanks, man. That's great. Good. Hey, Ben asked a question uh, that required a little bit of research here. And I'll explain. He says, I recall that Dave switched his home phone service quite a while ago to Google Voice by using the Obahai, uh OB200 adapter. I am looking at doing the same. He says, I currently use Uma, but their spam calls are out of control. Uh, so it seems like this this would be a great way to do it. And yes, so you're right. I uh, and I it's still to this day. That's what we did. We when we moved in here, we had a real landline. Uh, we then migrated that phone number to Comcast. Uh, and then when we got sick and tired of paying Comcast landline fees, because it's just a VoIP line, like what's the difference? Uh, we migrated it to this Obahai OB 200 thing. And I'll put a link in the, the show notes about how to do this, but essentially, uh, at the time, what, what this OB 200 device is, is it's a VoIP adapter, voice over IP adapter for your local network. It has an ethernet port and a phone port. Actually, it's got two phone ports, but that's okay. Uh, you plug the ethernet port into your network. You plug the phone port into your, either a telephone or a telephone jack. And now your entire house is live. Make sure you disconnect from whatever you might have gotten from the street before so that things aren't weird, but just like you would do with your, you know, when you get a cable modem phone line or whatever. Uh, and and then it, it just works. Now the trick is, and it, it connects to a Google voice number. And so as long as you've got a Google voice number, you can do this. Now getting our Comcast based 
number ported to Google Voice was a little bit of a trick because at least when we did it, and I think it's still true now, you can't port from Comcast to Google Voice. Google Voice will only port in from mostly from cell carriers. So the way to do it was I got a SIM from T-Mobile and I ported Comcast to T-Mobile. I think I had to pay a grand sum total of about $7 in fees to T-Mobile for the period of time that we had this number active with them. But uh, I ported it from Comcast to T-Mobile. And then as soon as it was live in T-Mobile, which didn't take very long, I ported it to Google Voice, which took a day or two. Uh, and then once it was in Google Voice, the T-Mobile account automatically shut down because there was no service left on it. And that was the end of that. And so now I pay nothing for Google Voice. I paid once for the OB200, which currently are available for about 50 bucks, uh, I think, uh, maybe a little more, but less than 100. And then good to go. Uh, I was a little, the reason it required a little research is because I logged into my I log into my OB account once every three months just to make sure that everything is like still linked up and you know the the numbers all still work and all that stuff. We don't use our landline a lot, and I call it our landline. It's not a landline anymore. It hasn't been in a long time, but uh, we don't use it very often. So if it went you know a week without working, we might not know. So I check in every three months. It's fine. And when I checked in in the fall, I saw a thing that says their OB extra service, which is the thing that they actually the service thing that they actually charge for, which I don't pay for, um, was being discontinued. And I thought, uh oh, if they are shutting down the revenue stream portion of this, are they shutting down the service overall? And I called customer service and the customer service rep said, well, we don't have any plans to shut it down, but I think we probably are. <clears throat> I didn't like that. So I checked in with our PR rep there and uh, she researched for us and found that no, they are not, they have no plans to shut this down. In fact, they've, they're still in production on the OB 200s and other OB units. There are multiple line units that you can get and all that stuff. So everything's good to go. I still feel comfortable recommending this as a path. I mean, really it doesn't take you very long to make your money back um, after buying the, uh, the unit. So um, I'm going to, I'm looking to see what the pricing is today. It has changed. It, it jumps around. I think it's like 60 bucks if I'm not, oh no, see today it's 125. They go, it, I swear to you last week when I checked, it was less than a hundred bucks, but even at, at 125, I mean, I, we were paying like 20 bucks a month to Comcast for the privilege of having them host our VoIP line. And so it was like that. It was easy math. Uh, to get rid of it, but yeah, we'll, we'll put a link to all this in the show notes and hopefully you can find it, um, when it's a little less expensive, they, the price really varies on these things, but, um, mm -hmm. but yeah, so there you go. It's, it's, they say it's from Obahai. Obahai was the company that used to make it and that's why it's called the OB 200, but now it's Polycom that owns, like you mentioned in the last episode, Polycom owns, uh, or acquired Plantronics. And so it's all sort of in that oh. same family. Yeah. Wow. They're Growing by leaps and bounds. Growing by acquisitions. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, but it works great. It's good. All right. What do we have mm -hmm. here? We have time for like one more. I, you want to do, <clears throat> I think we, I think Simon would be good, John. Want to take us to Simon? Yes. Sweet. Okay. So, all right. So I had to do a little development here. Um, All right. Want me to read it? Uh, no, I think we're... Uh, uh, yeah, 
it's kind of broken up here. Okay, <laughs> I'll read it. You you answer it. How, how about uh, that? He said, uh, <clears throat> after hearing the MGG show the other week about command option E to eject discs or eject a single volume without ejecting everything on that disc, I went to test as I have an external uh, dock that mounts two discs for ad hoc backups. They have multiple volumes, so this means the above keyboard combo needs uh, still needs several clicks. Then I found a touch bar script. Here come those seasonal allergies. Uh, Mac OS eject all disks with a keyboard shortcut on the touch bar. But uh, it, the initial code pack was missing. Anyone out there using this tool or has a similar setup? I know Dave and John have mentioned better touch tool, but I have not ever needed it before as I have never found the need to amend any of the touch bar stuff. So, John, do you have the answer for us? I do have the answer. So, yes. In fact, if you go to the uh, article that he refers to, they have a thing saying click here to get the, uh, to download the, it's actually an Apple script. Um, ah. Yeah. So this isn't really something unique to touch. Basically what this article does is it tells you how to build a service in automator. Um, and I won't read you the steps. You can go to the steps here, but I had to kind of wing it at one point. Um, so part of the article says how it works. And what you have to do is they have a step saying, replace the code with this Apple script. Um, Got it. And the thing is, further down on that page is the source code. So you, you literally copy and paste that source code into automator um and they have a few other steps like one it gives it a cute little gear icon and all that sure um and then within automator you just save it as um as a service and then if and then from that point forward um when you go to the um when you're in the finder menu, you'll see services. And what happens is that it then appears in the, uh, in the services menu. Interesting. Okay. Ah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You see, and yeah, so I showed him yeah. a screenshot. So, so in the services menu, there's going to be a general category and that's where, when you, you, when you read this article, that's where it puts the script. And basically, you just select that. You can create a shortcut to it. They explain how to do this as well. Sure. But the key is, is that what they're doing um, is different enough from the finder eject in that it does not prompt you for Got it. eject. Uh, the finder, normally, if it sees, you know, a disk with two partitions, it's like, oh, well, you know, there's actually two partitions or two volumes here. You want to eject both of them. If you run this scripted, you are not asked that question. Got it. So, Okay. All right. That's cool. All right. Yeah. 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 And, and there's a, um, uh, he asked this in our forums, so we'll put a link to the forum post and mm. John's going to fill in the, the answer there too. So we'll, uh, we'll have it all for you. Yeah. Well, I think that's, uh, that's what we got for today. So mm -hmm. we're going to take our toys and go home because we got new toys this week. So we got to play. Thanks for uh, thanks for hanging out, everybody. Thanks for all your feedback and comments and tips and all that stuff. We got a bunch of feedback from our discussion on last episode uh, about subscriptions, and we ran out of time to include that today. But I want to share all of uh, that that we got with all of you to sort of get your feedback about it. 
but it's been very enlightening. I will say that. So if you have more thoughts about how we might implement Apple subscriptions in the world that we live in here, uh, I am, we are all ears. So feedback at MacGeekUp.com, please. Or if you're a premium subscriber through our premium program, premium at MacGeekUp.com, you're welcome to use that. Of course. In fact, you are encouraged to use that if you're a premium subscriber. So cool. Uh, John, you have any, uh, any last things to tell them before it's time for us to get out of here? Um, no. Okay. Well, thanks for listening. Thanks to all our sponsors. As we mentioned twice, three times in the show, headspace.com slash M G G clear using code Mac geek gab. And then uh, textexpander.com slash podcast. Of course, three great, uh, well, two great utilities and two great services. And I'll let you figure out how that works with three things because sometimes things are more than they seem. Aha. All right. Our thanks to Cashfly for providing all the bandwidth. Get the show from us to you, John. Thank I got us into listening. This. Of course. Thanks for doing the show with me, John. It's fun. And uh, do you have any last things to say now that uh, now that we've gotten through all of that? I have one last thing to say, Dave, and that is don't get caught. Made up.